Welcome to the forum on the Calvary St. George's Sermon Podcast. The class is entitled The Greatest Hits, and it's about key events in the life of Jesus. More than being scholarly, these classes are designed to be edifying and devotional. Sit back, relax, and enjoy. I'm here today, and I have no idea what kind of familiarity you have with the scriptures, with the Bible, and I'm going to try to assume that you don't know much while at the same time not dumbing it down. So, feel free to interrupt me if I'm saying something that you don't understand. I just put your arm up, and I'll, I'm going to try to unpack everything as I go, but I really want us to be all in this together. So again, as I said in the video announcement, I want this to be a little bit more devotional. Of course, it's going to be informative, but a little bit more devotional than just like me re- reading some scholarly paper that you guys don't really care all that much about. I mean, maybe I care about it, but you probably don't. But I want to begin by saying, how many of you are familiar with the idea of the Messiah? Or, yeah, yeah, okay, great. So in the Old Testament, or the Hebrew Scriptures, uh, there are, there, there's talk about the Messiah that is to come. This deliverer, this person who will essentially make the king, the monarch, of Israel, the king of the world, and usher in this era of peace, harmony, and again, it won't just be for Israel, it'll be for everybody. Now, there are a lot of different messianic promises, but one of them that oftentimes gets overlooked is a promise in the book of Deuteronomy. If you're not familiar with Deuteronomy, it's the fifth book of the Bible. There are the the five books of Moses. Deuteronomy is the last one. It's the end of that kind of book that we call the Pentateuch. And what's important, what we see there, is that the messianic hope at the end of Deuteronomy is not so much a king like David, but a prophet, a prophet like Moses. Now, in every age, not just the ancient ages, But even in our age, we are not merely focused in on our origins. That's really popular, right? 23andMe, all that stuff. But what we're even more interested in is what lies ahead, the hiddenness of the future. And we want to tear aside that curtain because we want to know what is going to happen so we can avoid bad things and go toward the good things or salvation, however that looks. And all religions do this in one shape, form, or another. They want to lift the veil of the future. And for a lot of people, they seem important because they impart knowledge about what is to come. Show us the paths to avoid. Show us the paths that are life. Uh, and so this is why all, practically all re- religions have, you know, enacted or developed ways of looking into the future. Uh, And in the Deuteronomy text I'm going to look at in a second, uh, this author mentions the alternative paths of looking into the future that are around Israel. Again, this window onto the future. And in case you think this is just for today, I mean, think about all the... at the, the horoscope stuff and astrology or the, you know, the palm readers. Like, we're, we're not... 
divorced from all this. That's the supernatural end. But think about those of us who might be a little bit too obsessed with, you know, our Roth IRAs. or No, anything that deals with seizing control of the future. Now, I'm not saying having a Roth IRA is a bad thing or a retirement fund is a bad thing. But what I'm saying is when sometimes these good things turn into, the classic word would be idols or, you know, just, you know, again, it's all about seizing control of that which we cannot control. So the text goes like this. This is from Deuteronomy 18. When you come into the land which the Lord your God gives you, you shall not learn to follow the abominable practices of those nations. There shall not be found among you anyone who burns his son or daughter as an offering, anyone who practices divination, a soothsayer, an augur, a sorcerer, a charmer, a medium, a wizard, a necromancer, For whoever does these things is an abomination to the Lord. Pretty strong language. The Lord is not interested in people seeking out wizards or necromancers or, you know, just a soothsayer. Uh, And and we see this throughout the history of Israel. In the Old Testament, right, they're constantly trying to get rid of this stuff in the land, but it creeps back. And someone like King Saul, right, the, the king of Israel, the one who's, to make sure we're following the law of the Lord. What? Um, one minute, he's like, we can't have any of this. But in the next minute, right, he has this battle with the Philistines, and he's not sure how it's going to go, and he's really nervous about it, and, and the Lord is silent. The Lord is not telling him, you know, do I attack this way? Do I avoid? What, what do I do? So what does he do when the going gets tough and he gets a little nervous? The exact opposite what we read about in our passage, the exact opposite of what he's been charged to do. He goes out to Endor to this woman who conjures the dead, and he asks her to summon the spirit of the prophet Samuel so that he will get a glimpse into the future. So for, for Saul, at the end of the day, if the Lord will not speak, then someone else will have to tear aside the veil that covers tomorrow. Now, what I want to say is this. In, in Israel, there is the institution of the, the prophet, right? And a lot of times when we think of the prophet, we think of, oh, someone who's going to tell the future. Um, and um, there's an element of that, right? Some of these messianic promises. But more often than not, the prophet is really about, like, pointing us back to the way of life. So the institution, you might say, of prophecy is very different than what a soothsayer does. And in the scriptures, they're constantly, a lot of times the, the Israeli or the Israelite prophets become soothsayers, which, you know, they're forfeiting what they're supposed to be doing. We see that throughout the Old Testament. So the way of soothsaying, of saying, oh, it's, you know, it's all going to work out. Do it this way. You're, you're fine. It's, I mean, from the Old Testament writer's perspective, these lies that are being told about trying to make people feel safe or secure that is contracted, contrasted with a very different way of Israel. The way of Israel is the way of faith. Think about that. Think about that juxtaposition, right? And this is true in my life. I'm not above this. I try to seize control of the future because I crave security more than I crave the things of God. 80% of the time. Maybe if I'm honest, 90% of the time. But really... The contrast here, the office of prophet, what's happening in Israel, what's happening 
for the people of faith today is that our way is the way of faith, not the way of the soothsayer. So, and we, so I want to talk about this. Um, the, in that, in the next verses in Deuteronomy go, The Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among you. Him shall you heed. Now, again, when we think of prophet, a lot of the times we think of, you know, oh, this person's supposed to interpret the future. And I'm not saying there's not ever that. Though, I mean, go to a soothsayer, go to you know, a fortune teller. The prophets don't do that kind of thing. I'm not actually saying you should go to them. But the prophets look very different than the way they look. The, the, the prophet um, and the, the harsh critique of the prophets in the Old Testament writings oftentimes underscore the danger that, yeah, these, these prophets become that very thing that they're not supposed to be. And that they are, you know, almost advertising themselves as, you know, we are the consultants, come to us. Uh, and when this happens, Israel relapsed into the very thing it had been commissioned to prevent, much like what Saul did. So I want to fast forward. We were in Deuteronomy 18. Fast forward to the end of Deuteronomy. Uh, at the end of Deuteronomy, the author returns to this promise, this promise of a prophet who is to come. And he takes it far beyond the institution of prophecy at the time. He says that, and there has not arisen a prophet since in Israel like Moses, whom the Lord knew face to face. So it's interesting. This is the very end of the book. At the very end of the book, there has not arisen a prophet in Israel like Moses. Now, however you want to view the first five books of Moses, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, uh, whether they were part of them were written by Moses, part of them written by other people, it seems pretty clear that the final form that comes together is put together way later. Right? Like, why would Moses say Moses was the most humble person on the planet? Uh, so I'm not saying a lot of that doesn't come from the original events, but this is way later. So this is way later into the life of Israel. They've had a whole lot of prophets, and while some of them have been good, a lot of them have been bad, what essentially the author here is saying is that we, we long for the days when Moses looked out. And what was the thing that made Moses unique? Well, according to this text, it's there has been no prophet who knew the Lord face to face. Or whatever that means, you know what I mean? Like God face. But he knew the Lord face to face. This promise that a prophet like me will come has not been fulfilled in all these years after Moses has died. So there's this, and maybe this is like sad boy Ben coming out, but I kind of enjoy this like curious melancholy that is at the end of Deuteronomy. It's like there's like this kind of yearning, this longing, and, and not like you and me, right? A lot of times I'm just nostalgic for something that really never was. I just remember it incorrectly. But it is this longing for something even better, right? What they found was that taking possession of the land in Palestine did not constitute their salvation. They're still awaiting real liberation. They want an even more radical type of exodus, one that would call for a brand new Moses, a Moses 2.0, if you will. And here it is. So when we're looking for this 
prophet like Moses. What are we looking for? Well, we said the unique thing about Moses is that, according to this text, Moses, unlike the others, they had, you know, they would talk to God, God would give them things, but whatever that means, Moses is one who talked face to face. Probably talking about Mount Sinai, right? Um, Who knows exactly? But there's something, none of the prophets, all the other ones paled in comparison to Moses. Maybe Elijah, number two. Who knows? Um, But what I find really interesting is that what the text does not say is that, you know, Moses delivering his people out of the house of slavery in bondage in Egypt, nor his, you know, taking his people through the desert, the wilderness, nor his, like, taking them into the land. That's not what made Moses super special. What made Moses special was that he spoke with God as a friend. Now, I'm hoping that this is already triggering things in your mind about, you know, the, the, the person, the figure of this course, Jesus of Nazareth, but we'll, we'll get there. So, if the prophet is not supposed to be a soothsayer, if the prophet is something different, uh, the task isn't so much to report on the events of tomorrow in order to, you know, satisfy our craving for security. If the point is to show us the way of faith, to show us the face of of God, uh, this is this is very different than what we see in these other religions about you know, getting control. Um, this is about pointing us to the second Exodus, the once and for all Exodus, which really consists in this. I mean, I think this is really what they're trying to get across. Among all the paths of history, the path to God is the true direction that we must seek. And find. But, you know, how do we find that path? We, we need this kind of new deliverer, this new Moses. So, let's get back, back to Deuteronomy. So, there hasn't arisen a prophet in Israel like Moses. Um, and this, this also, there's a lot of subtlety going on here. There seems to be this, um, this, this, again, this promise, not only will this new prophet be like Moses, um, but that this prophet will be better Again, that this prophet will converse face-to-face with, as with a friend. But if you remember, there's another part of back in Exodus, the second book of Moses, right, where, where Moses tells the Lord, hey, I, I, I want to see your face. I want to see your glory. Right? And God says, well, no, well, you can't see my face and live. Uh, and so, you know, he puts Moses in the cleft of the rock. And whatever this means, right, these are... Uh, the big word is anthropomorphisms, like making God like God's a human. He's, he kind of shields him, and it says he saw God's back. Again, it's meant to show to us, like, wow, uh, Moses really got a glimpse of the Lord in a very special way. And uh, what I find really interesting and really only tangentially related to what we're going to talk about, but in the history of Jewish and Christian mysticism, uh, this text has been one where people are like, well, just how far can we go in our communion with God? Like, what, yeah, what does it mean that Moses saw his back? What does it mean that he couldn't see his face and live? Uh, and I don't want to spend too much time in that, but I, I do find it interesting that in both Jewish and Christian traditions, there's been a, a, an obsession about this. Like, oh, wow, what this means is we can get really close to God. Uh, but the main point of it really is that although Moses' immediate relation to God makes him a great revelator, uh, the great mediator of the covenant, there's still a limit 
He may have seen God or spoken with God face to face, but he wasn't allowed to see God's face. Wasn't permitted to go there, despite the fact that, right, you know, he's allowed to go into the, you know, holy of holies, speak with God as a friend. Um, you know, at, at times, like, the scriptures have it as, as if Moses is like dazzling white because the presence of the glory of God has just been like, wow. Uh, and yet there's a limit there. So there's also this kind of subtle thing that the last prophet, the new prophet, might just be let in on what was refused to Moses. That this new prophet, in whatever way this makes sense, might be just the one who converses with God and is, can see God's face. So there's this great expectation, right? When you read some of the, even like some of the intertestamental literature that's not in the scriptures, this, the hopes that they have foisted on the Messiah are even more than that of Moses, more than that of David. They are hoping for something big. They're hoping that everything they lacked will be undone, will lack no more. And so this is the context for, I'm hoping this like gets something in your mind. You remember John 1, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, the Word was God. Well, it ends with this. No one has ever seen God. It is the Son, the only Son, who is nearest to the Father's heart, who has made him known. And that's John's way of saying, this is the new Moses. This is the Moses 2.0. This is more than a prophet. This is a son. So it was true of Moses only in a fragmentary form has now been fully realized in the person of Jesus. He lives before the face of God, again, not just as a friend like Moses, but as a son as a child and lives in the this intimate unity with the father so we really can't leave this out uh, when we talk about jesus so today is all about old testament prehistory you know, prehistory i almost said pre-jesus but you know we believe jesus is one in being with the father so like always been pre-incarnate lord um but yeah th- this really gets us to see, like, okay, so if Jesus is more than a friend, he is the son, has this utmost intimate relationship with God. And keeping that in mind with what do we hear, the people who hear Jesus, what are they constantly, what are they saying? He teaches as one with authority. He doesn't teach the way the rabbis did. The rabbis, right, they would draw upon tradition. What do the other rabbis say? Well, rabbi so-and-so said this. They're saying, whoa, this guy, it's like he's making stuff out of thin air. Now granted, of course, Jesus is referring to the Old Testament. Jesus is not just like, Jesus is a Jew. But he teaches with authority. Something new and radically different is happening here. Something that cannot be learned in the schools. This is teaching with authority. This is one who speaks to God face to face. Now, one more thing I want to say. and Essentially, we're going to wrap up, but one of the other things we notice in the New Testament is that Jesus, it's, it's small, but it happens a lot. Jesus kind of, he withdraws, goes you know, to the mountain, and spends night, nights alone in prayer with the Father. Now, the mountain, if, you're, if you read your Bibles very closely, that's talking about Moses, Mount Sinai. Jesus goes up the mountain, converses with God, again, like Moses. But again, this, 
this contact, this, these nights alone in prayer with the Father, these short little passages, they lift the veil of the mystery of Jesus a little bit. They give us a glimpse into his, what you might say, his filial existence with the Father. It's like a family-like existence with God. Um, this praying of Jesus is the Son conversing with the Father. And what's interesting about this is Jesus here, the incarnate Lord, human, and yet his human consciousness, his will, his soul, is interacting with God face to face. It's, it's essentially like kind of taken up in that exchange. And in this way, too, you and I, who are adopted sons and daughters of God through the merits of our Lord, Jesus is our brother. We are siblings of Christ. God, his father, is our father in this adoption that's taken place. And so in this way, human praying is able to become a participation in this, again, filial or family-like communion with the father. So again, if if Jesus' human soul is taken up in the act of praying, those of us who see Jesus, our brother, we see the father. Isn't, I mean, Jesus said as much, right? Well, you, you have seen the Father. You've seen me. Uh, and the disciple who walks with Jesus is thus caught up with him into communion with God. And this is what redemption means. And I, I really wanted to say this, again, kind of the Old Testament background for like how we understand the mystery of Jesus. But also just that, yes, if Moses is one who talked with God face to face, and Jesus kind of one-ups that. Right, um, and yet we are adopted as siblings, then the very ordinary, boring activities like going and praying, we are caught up in something that is, you know, kind of mind-blowing. Um, uh, we, this is where, like, you know, sometimes I don't love where all the Christian mystics go all the time, but here's where they our right to be like, this is amazing. Uh, Moses speaks with God face to face. Again, shielded. Jesus here, Moses 2.0, our Savior, speaks and it's not shielded. And we have been grafted in as adopted children. And that means we're going to be safe uh, in this glorious presence of Christ and God. Um, and what really what I want to say is, and we'll, we'll get to this a little bit later on, but at a church like ours, where we focus on the cross every single day, all the time, rightly so, um, and the humility of God in Jesus Christ, let's hold all that together, right? The cross, in some weird upside-down way, is the glory of God. Mind-blowing, right? But there's also, like, the fear and trembling of Encountering the living God is real. Uh, this God is majestic and all-powerful. Uh, and yet, by virtue of Jesus and what he's done, we have been invited in and we have nothing to fear. And we can have a living relationship with this God. Thanks for listening to this bonus episode of The Forum on the Calvary St. George's Sermon Podcast. If you enjoyed this podcast or it nourished you in any way, consider supporting our parish with a financial gift. 
You can do it from your computer or right from your smartphone by going to calvarystgeorges.org backslash giving. Thank you so much, and we hope to see you soon.